Welcome again to Bible Center. Hope you've had a great morning so far. It's good to be back. Our family's been on vacation the last two weeks, and there's something about going away for vacation that's great. I remember as a kid, I, my dad would say that he couldn't wait to get back to his bed and his house and his routine. And as a kid, I was thinking like, Dad, you're crazy. Uh, and who wants to go back to their own bed and their own house and their, their own routine? Now I know a little bit about what he was talking about. I couldn't wait to get back to my bed, my house, my coffee maker, and my routine. It's also good, back, good to be back with you, the Bible Center Church family. I'm so thankful for Pastor John and Pastor Ted speaking while I was away. I was running with a guy yesterday who told me uh, how God spoke to his heart both Sundays and had specific applications for ways uh, the Lord had used both their sermons. So I'm really, really thankful for that. If you haven't yet heard those, you can check them out on our app. Uh, or online. But again, welcome. If this is your first Sunday with us, uh, we're family and we're going to dive into God's Word together. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. The verses will also be on the screen here in just a little bit. But while you're turning, I wanted to give two announcements. Uh, actually, these two announcements are about two weeks late, but I wanted to give them when I got back from vacation. And they relate to staffing transitions at our church, some really good things happening behind the scenes. As you know, a couple months ago, uh, we announced how Pastor Chad, our care pastor, felt led to be a senior pastor in Wyoming. And I think next Sunday is his first Sunday there. I think that's his first Sunday preaching, so I want to be praying for him and Melissa and Landry as they get moved. Uh, but really, we've been in prayer for a while as elders of who is going to replace him as our pastor of care ministries, who's going to head up our visitation ministries to the hospitals and funerals, and really just making sure everybody's cared for when they're going through a time of uh, suffering, when they're walking through a valley. And about two years ago, Pastor Richard Thompson came to me and said, hey, if that position ever opens up, uh, will you remember me? And I asked him at the time, are you thinking about running Chad off the road? Like, what are you thinking about opening up? He says, well, if it opens up, remember me. I, I've really got a passion for care. And so over the last couple of years, I've made a number of visits with Richard. I've been watching the way he cares. And frankly, he is uh, one of the best care pastors I've ever seen. When I go to the hospital with Richard, I'll walk into the room thinking I'm going to be in charge because I just think I should be in charge. But then when we step in that room, something happens. He just cares for families, put them, puts them at ease. And so I'm really, really excited to announce to you that officially this morning, Pastor Richard Thompson is our new pastor of Care Ministries. Will you join me in giving it up, Pastor Thompson? This is his beautiful family. Be in prayer for them. Has been a number of transitions in their life, beautiful children, and some of their spouses. Uh, Pastor Chad and Pastor Richard won't be apples for apples. As you know, God has gifted Chad uniquely as a capital T teacher. And so we were able to see that ministry flourish while he was here. And, but I think God has gifted Pastor Richard in extraordinary ways in care. So support him and love him and encourage him. Leave that slide up there for a second. Because now that leaves a gap uh, for his position. Who are we going to get to replace Pastor Richard? It's like a number of dominoes. There's never a dull moment here. Uh, so who are we going to get to replace Pastor Richard? So for the last couple months, our elders have been praying. Our pastors have been praying. And the Lord made it very, very clear through a number of interviews and through a number of uh, conversations uh, that our next pastor of children's ministry will be Pastor Steve Neal. Will you join me in giving it up? Congratulate <laughs> Pastor Steve Neal. How many of you remember Steve when he was here before? 
Remember, he was a, the youth pastor. He hasn't lost a bit of that energy. He's only gained a little bit of wisdom. Hasn't lost a bit of that energy. I think he drinks gasoline for breakfast. Uh, but one thing I like about Pastor Steve is that he has a passion for discipleship and taking our children deeper in God's word. We've been talking since I've been here on how can we bridge that gap between families and their children, getting the word of God being central, uh, not only a place where uh, kids enjoy going on Sundays and Wednesdays, but a place where they're growing deeper in God's word and encouraging the family to do that. So he's got some great ideas and we're launching into that this morning, which is why neither of them are up on the platform. This is Steve's family. Be sure to be in prayer for all of them, him and Beth, and the children. One more announcement. Uh, on September 23rd, we have our levy service down at Haddad Riverfront Park. Uh, we're going to be doing a combined worship service that morning again. And so we're seven Sundays away. But the reason I wanted to mention that is because this morning's sermon actually already begins to prepare our hearts for that Sunday. Uh, we didn't plan it that way. Today is the last psalm in the Summer in the Psalm series. Uh, but this psalm actually prepares us for that Sunday. And so at the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you a prayer and ask you to be praying for the levy service starting today. And so I'll, I'll have you write that down or at least remember that, jot it in your phone. So at the end of the message, there'll be a prayer. That Sunday is going to be truly an evangelistic gospel service. And here's what I mean. Last time we were at the levy, the sermon and really the whole morning was probably geared mostly to Christians, uh, which is we're trying to do more and more on Sunday mornings. But that service is going to be a place where you can invite an unsaved and unchurched relative, a friend, a coworker, and they're going to hear a clear, simple gospel message. And we're praying now that the Holy Spirit opens hearts to receive the gospel that people would follow Jesus. And so I'll be giving you again a prayer. Let's continue in prayer for that service and ask God to do great things. I'll jump in with another prayer and then we'll start to preach. Please join me in prayer. Psalm 67 is what I'll be praying. Dear God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. Oh God, our God, please bless us. Bless Bible Center Church. Bless your people and all churches around our city this morning. And oh God, may all the ends of the earth fear you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We start Psalm 67 with the question, simple question is this, what does God invite us to pray for? What does God invite us to pray for? The answer is in verse 1. He says in verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. That's the idea of praying for spiritual blessings. So first of all, God invites us to pray for spiritual blessings. This prayer is rooted in the grace of God. The psalmist doesn't start by saying, God, let me tell you how much I deserve you to answer my prayers. 
Let me tell you how much I deserve to be blessed with all of these great blessings. But he starts by rooting it in his grace, that unmerited favor, love, free gift of, of favor of God. This refers to our salvation. Our salvation is of God's grace. We can't do anything to earn God's salvation. It come to, come to, comes to us freely through the gift of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose from the grave. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. Really, if you look in the Bible, there's, there's nothing even that we did to deserve it or even obtain a hearing. God, in his mercy and his grace, exposed you to the gospel, opened your heart to believe the gospel, and if you're a Christian today, it's 100% because of the grace of God. But he says in verse 1, not only has God been gracious to us, but he says, because of this grace, bless us. Now, sometimes we use church words and we throw church words around. What does it mean to ask God to bless you. When you pray, God bless me, what do you mean? Sometimes we think of blessing as maybe a guy in a robe, you know, like praying over somebody or saying some chant uh, over the people of God. But this idea of blessing is rather simple. It refers to God's generosity, to God's gifts, to God's benefit. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. God's grace is easy to grasp, but if you're like me, God's grace can also be sometimes hard to grasp because of our pride. Jesus tells the story, and this really resonated with me. I couldn't cut it out of the message. As I was reading uh, Matthew 20 this week, I read about how that there was this, Jesus told the parable about a farmer who needed workers for his vineyard. And so he goes into the marketplace, and he's looking for workers in his vineyard. And early in the morning, he, he finds a group of workers, and he says, I'm going to pay you such and such a wage. They agreed on the wage. They thought it was generous. They hop in the back of his pickup truck that's added, and they go to the farmer's vineyard. Well, about mid-morning, mid he needed more workers. So the farmer goes back to the marketplace. He gets his pickup truck, loads it up with a few more contract workers. They agree on a generous wage. They come back to the vineyard, and they work. At noon, he does the same thing. And mid-afternoon, he does the same thing. One hour before dark, he does the same thing. At the end of the night, when all of them are coming to receive the wage that they agreed on, and every one of them thought it was generous, the guys who were there early in the morning, they held their hand out, and the farmer doled out the cash. The, the people who were there by mid-morning held their hand out, and the farmer doled out the cash. But the people who were there early in the morning thought, wait a minute, we're getting paid the same amount that the people got paid who came a few hours after us. But you can just kind of imagine as they grumbled, but they didn't say a lot. And then the people who got there at noon held their hands out and the farmer doled out the cash and the first two groups began to grumble and say, hey, wait a minute, that's the same amount that you paid us. And then by mid-afternoon, the mid-afternoon workers held out their hands. By the time the guys got paid who came an hour after dark and they all got paid the same, the people who had been there since morning, they were livid. How could you pay them the same? That's not fair. And Jesus' point was that, hey, wait a minute, this morning you thought I was generous. 
You agreed on this wage. You decided that this wage was good. But now you're deciding that because somebody else got as much as you, you deserve more. Isn't that the way our hearts can be at times? We're so excited to to receive the grace of God. We come to Jesus by faith because of his grace and he washes our sins away and we just love the mercy of God. But something happens the longer that we're Christians. If you're like me, we sometimes think that somehow God owes us more because we've been here longer. We've been in God's family longer. So the Lord owes us something. And Jesus says, no, it's all because of my generosity. It's all because of my grace. And he says in verse one, I underline two words. He says, show your grace to us. Bless us. The words us are significant. This prayer is intended to be prayed in a community of faith. He doesn't say bless me, but he says bless us. This is a prayer for the whole church, not just for us as individuals. God has always blessed the us. This is why we have Sunday morning services. We come together as the us. It's why we do picnics and groups and come together for classes because God wants us to gather as us. And then he says here, make your face shine on us. What does he mean by shine on us with your face? Well, if you're taking notes, you want to write down Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. Whenever Moses was teaching Aaron how to be a priest, he, he says, Aaron, pray this over your people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the Old Testament, the face of God was the representative of the the grace of God, the, the presence of God realized among his people. People in the Old Testament, their greatest fear was for God somehow to turn his face away from them, that somehow they wouldn't be aware of his presence or that God would forget them. The images of an ancient king, you come into the throne room of an ancient king, you wanted to make sure the king smiled when you entered the throne room because if the king frowned, you were going to die. And so this is a a beautiful picture that God, show us your favor. Be glad that we're your people and let us be glad that you are our God. And notice God is inviting them to pray again for spiritual blessings. He's saying, Lord, bless me. So I have a question today. Is it okay for you to come to church to get? We say, hey, don't come to get come to give. But let me ask you, is it okay for you ever to come to church to get something, to receive something? I want to ask you to raise your hand, but just kind of ponder that in your heart. Is it ever okay to get? I would argue from Psalm 67 that God wants us to come to church to get, to receive. You say, what do you mean? 
Well, in this passage, he's, he's wanting to receive the blessing of God. In places like Psalm 42, 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. God is honored when we say, I, my heart is not in the right place. My heart is not in a good place. God, draw me closer to you. Help me to know more of your presence, more of your blessing. Dear God, give me spiritual blessings. God is honored when we want him more than money, more than fame, more than comfort, more than family, more than jobs, more than health, more than sports, more than toys, and more than friends. God wants us to be a thirsty people for spiritual blessings. This past year, God's been gracious to Bible Center, and we see 39 people baptized at Bible Center Church, 20 children, 19 adults, the kids have us by one. Of those 19 or 20 children, 15 received Christ in the last 12 months. That's an example of God's grace. The prayer room has been opened, as, as has already been mentioned, and we'll mention it again at the end of the service. Uh, that's a spiritual blessing. You're going deeper than ever in God's word through the study guides and, and core classes. We're trying to go deeper in God's word on Sunday mornings. We have the young professionals class. I always forget to mention the young professionals class, but Tim Abraham and I were talking recently about all that God is doing in that class. There's a group of like 20-year-old, 20-somethings. We'll just say they're all 20-year-olds, 20-somethings. And, and they were non-existent at Bible Center at large five years ago. And now there's about 50 of them that, that meet on Sundays at 1030. That's the beginning of the blessing of God in that group. This week I went back and reread one of our baptism testimonies. And one of our women who was baptized, she wrote this. I had to read it again. She says, I was reared in a fine Christian home. And my parents taught me to follow and love Jesus with my whole heart. As I grew up, I wasn't always the best kid though. Even though I was an okay kid, sometimes I did some dumb things. As I grew into adulthood and entered the workforce, I was increasingly lonely, unfulfilled, and looking for confirmation in the wrong places. But six years ago, I reached my lowest point. My life was in mass confusion, and my soul cried out for Jesus. I had known from the time I was a child that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. But something special and deeper happened that day. When I gave my life to Christ, my circumstances didn't change. I was still tempted with all the same things. I had all the same burdens as before, but now I had Christ and Christ had me. Did you get that? I had his comfort, his protection, his grace. My heart melted into his. And within the last six years, I met my husband. We started a family together. God has given me things I didn't even know I wanted. I have the joys of being a parent, and my daughters are teaching me what God thinks of me as his daughter. Today on my baptism, I want to honor Christ and follow him. That's what we're praying for more of in the years and decades to come.
This fall, I want to tell you a little bit about some opportunities we have to seek spiritual blessings. One of those is we're going to go verse by verse through the First Timothy this fall, the book of First Timothy. Uh, we have spiritual, uh, we have the, the spiritual life guides coming out here in a few weeks. Be in prayer for that. I'm going to start now. I'm just about done with the Psalms, reading First Timothy. It's part of my devotions. I would encourage you to do that. We also have an outdoor baptism in September. September the 9th is our outdoor baptism back at the Kinder's place. Last year, they like Rachel single-handedly built a dam for us. We're not going to make her do that this year. We're going to do it ourselves. Um, bless her. Uh, but we're looking forward to our outdoor baptism. We have our class coming up in just a couple of weeks. If you're interested in baptism, you say, ah, I, know, I know I need to be baptized. I've put my faith in Jesus. Or what does it even mean to put your faith in Jesus? Come to the class. I'll be teaching it. Love to see you follow the Lord in baptism at our outdoor baptism. And then we have our core classes starting on September 13th. I just got back into town and I said, I've got to announce that. So you can go ahead and just put that simple announcement, tuck it away for the weeks to come. What does God invite us to pray for? Spiritual blessings. Number two, physical and material blessings. Physical and material blessings. Look with me down in verse six. In verse 6, he says, the land yields its fruit or its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about something very tangible, very physical, very material. He was asking the Lord, in this case, thanking the Lord for the blessings of a great harvest in an agricultural society. Back in this day, you were rich, not based upon how much cash you had in your pocket, but by how much land you owned. The more land you owned, the more crops you could grow, the more livestock you could raise. And so here in this one verse, he, he's praying and thanking God for physical blessings. This doesn't mean that a person who doesn't experience physical blessings is cursed of God. Can you think of anybody in the Bible who lost everything and still blessed the Lord? Job. Yeah, Job. Sure. There's others in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12 is another great place. The end of Hebrews 12, we talk about the great heroes of the faith. But there's these like three or four verses at the end of chapter 11. All these unnamed people who lost everything and they still followed and believed in the Lord. But it's okay for us to pray for spiritual blessings. We see or physical blessings. We see it in verse six. It's okay for us to pray for businesses to flourish, Christian or non-Christian. It's okay for us to pray that the unemployed get jobs, that you get a raise, that you have greater success in your place of employment. It's okay to pray for the economy of Charleston and the economy of West Virginia. God says pray for spiritual blessings, but you can also pray for Physical blessings, it's okay. Think about how blessed we are. God's been so good to us as Americans. Really, for most of the world, there's two things that make you rich. I, I can just about guarantee everybody in here has these two things. Indoor plumbing and running water. Indoor plumbing and running water and how amazing it is when those two things can go together. If you have those two things, you are 
rich. God has blessed us as a church in the last three months. Think about how God has poured out his blessings just in three months. We're just getting started with the all-in challenge to pay down our debt. And in the last three months, God has used you, Bible Center Church, to pay down $1,198,853 in three months. That is a huge beginning. And we're just getting started. We sold some nine nine acres of property. Uh, You've seen the videos on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I wanted to show you the video, the flyover. This is what it looks like right now on the back of our property. That's just out the road. If you go to the top of our parking lot and turn right, there's a gate there so they won't let you back. You're not supposed to be back there anyway. I found out. I have no idea what those pillars are. I'm a pastor. I'm not a contractor. I think those are forts, I don't know, elevators, whatever they're going to be. That building is going to be three times the size of our church building. Our church building is 66,000 square feet. That building they're building right now is 190,000 square feet. It's a $35 million project, which is great for our economy in Charleston. Four stories, 180 units. It's a retirement village. There's also some assisted living units there, but it's primarily a retirement village. There's going to be three dining rooms, a library, meeting rooms, a bistro, an outdoor barbecue. I want to know if I can retire. I mean, it sounds like a great place to live. God has been good to us because the sale of that property, we've been able to do so many more things this year. I say all that to say, let's just thank the Lord. We need not feel guilty for those things. God has been so good to us. He says, pray for blessings, spiritual and material. But the purpose of the morning is really to ask the question, why? Why do we pray for these blessings? This is the crux of Psalm 67. So number two, why do we pray for these blessings? Number two, that God might use us to rob hell and fill heaven. That God might use us to rob hell and fill heaven. Notice the end of verse one. My Bible has a dash. Uh, It's a, maybe the older translations or other translations have the word selah. It's the same thing. It's the idea of pause, pause and think. Some translations have the word interlude. It all means the same thing. The purpose is to build up to verse 2. Verse 2 explains verse 1. Why do we pray for spiritual and physical blessings? So that, if you underline or take notes, those two words are literally in the Hebrew. It's not like a translator said, ah, these two words sound good. They're there, word for word. So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. God wants us to pray for his blessings that we might glorify him, yes, but that we might produce more maturing followers of Jesus Christ. Some refer to it this way, that we might rob hell and fill heaven. It's the work of God, but he invites us to participate in it. And this work has been going on since the beginning of time. We go back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, the promise, the covenant, the call has always been for all people to believe in Christ. He says in Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning of time, the reason that God has called out a people, we could go back to Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, is so that all peoples of the earth may hear the name of Christ, may respond to the name of Christ, and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul later writes and tells us that this verse was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now think of this. Galatians 3 continues. This isn't on the screen, but if you're taking notes. In verse 6, he says, So then that it's those of faith, that's us, who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 9, so those who are of faith are a blessing and blessed along with Abraham. Verse 29 of Galatians 3, if you are Christ's, this is not me, this is Bible. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Does God promise to bless Israel? Absolutely. That's another sermon, that's another time. But as we read the book of Romans, we see that we, who most of whom are, are not Jewish, we've been given the opportunity as people from all nations to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, because that's what Israel was supposed to do to begin with. They were supposed to bless the nations. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, he says, be a blessing to the nations all the way to the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, John says, I see a people from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lamb. He says it again in Revelation 7, verses 5 through 9. The emphasis is this. God blesses his people so we can bless the world. That's why we pray for a blessing. The blessing isn't so that we can leave fat and sassy, being filled and warmed by the goodness of God, but so that we might leave and give to the world and bless our city and bless our state and bless our nation and bless our world. That's why God does what he does in his people. Israel so often forgot that. I so often forget that. May God use this morning's message to help you not to forget that. In verses 3 and 5, it's like he's just having fun. He just starts erupting in praise. He says in verse 3, May the people praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. In verse 5, he says the same exact thing. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you, the word people there, he uses three different words for people in Psalm 67. Essentially, it's for emphasis. He's saying every ethnic group, every nation, every people, there's nobody that God does not desire, no group God does not desire to permeate with his truth. 
David Platt writes, God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. Verse 4 is really the crux of the psalm. If you like, for the two or three of you who might like literary structure, verses 1 and 2 apply to verses 6 and 7. They're synonymous. Verse 3 applies to verse 5. They're exactly the same. So the whole psalm is pointing to verse 4. Notice what he says in verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. We'll mention that in a second. For you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. In those two sentences, you have something that's sobering and something that's exciting. Sobering and exciting. Let's talk about the sobering first. When he says you rule the peoples with equity, this is a sobering truth. He's saying that everybody will stand before the Lord and be judged by the very same standard, the entire world. According to the book of Romans, that standard, unfortunately, is perfection. You will be judged not by the person sitting next to you. You're going to be judged by the perfection and holiness of God. You say, that sounds depressing. (laughs) Who's going to stand? That's why we need Christ. Through Christ's obedience, Jesus lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, so that when we put our faith in Christ, God will no longer see our unrighteousness, but he sees the righteousness of his son. And so all nations are going to be measured. All people are going to stand there by that standard of the righteousness of God. You say, what about the people who've never heard about Jesus? Well, one, that's why we preach messages like this. And two, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 is very clear. Though not everyone has heard the name of Jesus, everyone has received some revelation of God. Everyone. And so no one will be able on that day to to stand there and say somehow that they, in view of a holy God, are holy in and of themselves. Every person is in need of the righteousness of Christ. That's a sobering truth. But if we ended with that, it would be depressing. So go back, if you will, the slide to the verse. Let's look at the verse. The the last line says, you guide the nations of the earth. That's the encouraging part. The first part is sobering. This part is encouraging. The word God is translated throughout the Psalms as shepherd. He says, you will shepherd the nations of the earth. Yes, it's true that those without Christ are lost. But it is also true that Jesus is doing everything in his sovereign will to get the gospel to all nations. You realize there are people being saved right now in South America by the millions. People being saved in Africa by the millions. China, the revival in China, a communist nation. People being saved so that now people from China are sending missionaries to the United States of America. God is not going to give up on the nations. And so a sermon like this is not a sermon that says, come on, church, we got to get busy. I believe we're already busy. But a sermon like this is saying this, could God do more with us as a church if we dove in 
and realized it's not about us and realized it's not about what makes us comfortable and what we want and what I want and what my preferences are, but would to God, what can he do with us if we just dove into the stream of his grace and said, Lord, I want all my blessings to be leveraged for the sake of the kingdom. What could God do with a little church like Bible Center? It's mind-blowing. Bible Center has a 75-year history of reaching out to the nations. 1943, we began officially as a church. And so hundreds of thousands of dollars of our budget every year goes to getting the gospel to the nations. But something the Lord's been putting on my heart for a while is Acts 1.8. And Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit is, will come upon you. And you'll be witnesses of me. First, where? In Jerusalem. And then where? In Judea. and Samaria. What's the last place where to be witnesses? Uttermost parts of the earth. One of the things God is burdening our pastors and our elders is doing everything we can to make sure that we go back and give our best to reach first our Jerusalem, our hometown. Uh, when I first came, 14% of our budget went uh, two missionaries outside of Charleston, and only 3% was fully invested in Charleston. Over the last two years, we've sought to change that. I don't know what this year's is. I forgot to, to look. But we're, we're, we're trying to get those to where they're, they're on par with one another, that God would give us a strong foundation here in Charleston of ministry so we could actually send more to the nations. I was just flipping through a few sites this week on my phone. I found out that there's actually 26,000 kids in Kanawha County, 26,000 kids in Kanawha County schools in elementary, middle school, and high school. 26,000. That's 13 middle schools, 8 high schools, and 43 elementary schools. 26,000. I know some of them go to good churches. Some of them are in our church. But you've got to guess that tens of thousands of them aren't anywhere in church this morning. God's calling us to reach those kids. There's 37 children in Kanawha County under the age of 18. Think about what God could do in our early childhood ministries, in our elementary, in our student ministries. If God would revive our hearts to say whatever it takes to leverage our resources to reach these children, these families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I called Pastor John yesterday or two days ago, I was working on this sermon. We'd just come back from an executive team retreat, and he's really, really good to take my calls and listen to my thousand ideas. I said, John, what would it look like for us to plant a campus in cross lanes? What would it look like for us to plant a campus? One, I'm just dreaming now. One day, plant a campus on the west side, plant a campus downtown, plant a campus in Elkview, plant a campus in Boone County. What would it look like? This isn't a sermon of strategy. This is just a sermon of what if. I believe if we truly felt that God rules the nations and God guides the nations and God wants all people to be glad in God, that we would say whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. Missions is not a program in the church. It is the program in the church. Lastly, number three, how can we pray for believers everywhere? How can we pray for believers everywhere? Four ways. I'll give them to you all at once. Number one, that they'll know God. 
We see that in verse 2. So that your ways may be known on the earth to know the one true God. Number two, that they'll praise God. We saw that earlier in verses 3 and 5. You can read that later. That they will praise God. Thirdly, that they'll enjoy God. That they'll enjoy God. And fourthly, that they will fear God. That they will fear God. John Piper writes on Psalm 67, he says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the goal. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. What do we do with a sermon on Psalm 67? Here's what I'd like you to do. For the next seven weeks, between now and the levy service, there's a prayer I want to invite you to pray. We're actually going to pray it the next six Sundays in our church services. We're going to pray it word for word, all together. And then we're going to be going, praying at homes, praying in our families. But let me invite you to pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear God, bless our church so we can reach our city. Dear God, bless our church so we can reach our city. The emphasis will change over the years. Eventually, it may be something in the state. It may be something in our country. It may be a particular area overseas. But in this season, God's inviting us to pray this prayer. Dear God, bless our church so we can bless our city. Next week, we're going to have prayer cards and invite cards for you to begin inviting folks to the levy service. But would you join me in a moment, but also this week and the next six weeks, and let's pray this prayer together God, grow our church. God, unify our church around the gospel. Dear God, make us passionate, white-hot worshipers on Monday as much or more than we are on Sunday. Dear God, bless our church so you can bless our city. And I'm confident that by the grace of God, he will. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for what you're doing in Bible Center Church. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will make us passionate about your mission. Thank you for a psalm that after being pointed inward and upward for the last nine weeks, that now we can look outward. I pray, O oh Father, that you would help us to glorify you by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. Make us for the gospel and for the city. Bless our church, oh God, so we can reach our city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.